welcome to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, where we talk about all things adulting, our experiences, navigating adulthood, and what we learned along the way. We invite you to join our weekly conversations while we create our own blueprints on this amazing journey and hope some of the lessons we learned can help you. Here are my co-hosts, Nay and Sunny D. Hey, everybody. It's your girl, Sunny D, here to brighten up your day. I'm a new business owner transitioning from corporate America. And frankly, I can't trust anybody that don't like tacos. Hey, friends. I'm Nay. I'm so excited to share and grow with y'all. I'm a full-time wife, full-time mommy, and part-time employee. Nutella is my love language. This is your girl, Nakai, and I am your host on Where's My Blueprint Podcast. I am so excited to have you guys here, and I love brownies and seaweed. So let's get to the episode. Hey, welcome back to Where's My Blueprint Podcast, episode 28. So happy to celebrate each and every one of you and our amazing listeners and, of course, our amazing parents. We thank each and every one of you. We are doing a mini series on parenting and really diving deep into this topic. But before we start, you already know a word from our sponsors. Hi, guys. Welcome once again. This episode is brought to you by Divine Timing, your one-stop shop for all things adulting. You can check out all the products on their website at fearforme.com and download all of their planners and journals to help you get your life in order. You can type in the code WMB22 at checkout and save 22% on everything online and get your life. So, you know, we start out every single episode with the quotes. And so the quotes for today is your words as a parent have great power. Use them to support and inspire by Gecko and Fly. Ladies, what do y'all think about that? Once again, I think that is extremely accurate. Um, your words as an individual and just as a everyday person have power and you should use them judiciously and use them with the intent to support and inspire. So that is ultimately like thoroughly true when you're talking about the next generation and little ones who come across not as an empty slate, but as a full receptacle for you to fill with awesomeness. So yeah, you should definitely use your words to support and inspire them. I definitely agree. I think it's important to speak life into your children and speak positivity and inspire them to believe that they can do anything. And those words are really important, even if you don't think that they are internalizing them and really processing what it is that you're saying. And they may not at that time, but those things that you tell them, especially at younger ages, will show back up in their adulthood. So if it is um, love and if it is light and all those things that help people grow to be, you know, established adults, those things are incredibly important to speak that into your kids. So I absolutely love that quote. Yeah, um, it's funny. I was just on the phone with someone this this week and they said that they would rather have someone beat them physically than to beat them with their words. And I mean, you know, whether I agree with that or not, that just speaks to just how powerful words really are. I love that you said that because back in the day, and I think maybe you talked about this, about back in the day of, you know, that stupid slang of like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. It's a lie. (laughs) Bones heal. Yes. And unfortunately, somebody who's 
said that, I, I, I understand where that person's coming from because your wounds can heal, but words are seeds and they fester and they like, you can replay it over and over and over. And that hurts. But also I was thinking of, um, when I heard this, when I read this quote was Kanye West mom of how like his mom put seeds in him as a young kid of like, you can do anything. Like you are able to do whatever you can, like that you have no limits on you. There's no sky. You literally have nothing. It's like limitless. Right. And how he is today. Like, I know he's very controversial person of some people are like, oh, he's too arrogant. He's too cocky. And other people are like, he knows his worth. So that was my thought on that. Okay. So guys, we're going to be talking about trauma parenting or parenting by default this episode versus intentional parenting. So during episode 27, we talked about doing shadow work and inner child work as well as intentionally parenting. So doing that work within you in order to become the best person to usher your little one into the into the way in which they should go. In my opinion, intentional parenting is the antithesis or the opposite of parenting by default because it's interrogating what triggers you, your trauma that you have within you that may interfere or color your parenting and resolving or being mindful of those things so you are opening to parenting your child in the way they show or tell you they need to be parented. Long story short, basically, we're going to get into all of the crazy foolishness we've grown up hearing others say or just things that we hear or have even, you know, honesty hour said ourselves in the Black community and why those things are wrong, why those things now as an adult who know better and do better make us go, eh, should we have said that? Should we be doing that? And make the path to possibly creating a better atmosphere for our kids because also let's be honest, these things don't change overnight. So we're going to begin the conversation in hopes that y'all can pick it up and run with it. So yeah, that's what we're doing today. And so before we get into the meat and the gritty of this episode, you know, we always start out with the either or. And so today's either or because it's hot in July. Like we sweating, like we sweating, sweating. So ladies, a week without AC or <laughs> two days in an outside tent with no bathroom. And I'm not doing nothing with no air. <laughs> Girl, as one who has lived in sunny SoCal with no AC, no fans, that hot day in July, that was my norm for like two years. I can do it. It won't be easy, but I can do it. That was Cali, though. That wasn't Texas heat. True. I drove through Texas and saw y'all had them like blind reflect things on the walls of them skyscraper buildings. I said, the devil is alive. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. Anytime it get that hot that as a company, you got to put tents on the on the windows at the workhouse no son Mm-mm. So as per usual <clears throat> add questions and thoughts because i've done both so do we not have ac because it broke do we not have ac because we also don't have electricity these are the questions that i have right let's assume it's broken i could do that that's fine we still got plenty of coolers we got a refrigerator full of ice we got ice makers being cooled down we got fans I can live that life. That's fine. I've also been camping before in a tent. Done that several weekends growing up. So that really isn't all that abnormal to me. I could definitely do that. And either we didn't have a bathroom or it was really far away. So me peeing in the woods is no big deal. I can handle that. And if it's a weekend, I could probably hold my poo if need be. I probably won't because that's not healthy. But if you needed to, you hold it for two days. It's fine. People do that when they travel, when they go to a different unfamiliar place. Sometimes it's hard for them to go. That's a normal thing. So that's not a big deal. So really and truly, I I could do both. I could do either or. 
to be honest and I've had those experiences. Would I prefer to not be in the sun and be at the crib for a week? Yes. That's probably would be my preference. Could I get away with both? Yeah, that's fine. Girl, so you live that life where you counting like 30 paces and then digging a hole and then squatting down and then covering it with the sticks and everything else. Okay, so I'm not like, what's his name? Bears Grills or something. I'm not like in the wilderness. I'm at like a state park. Okay. However, comma, we still had a tent. Okay. So I had a we had to pitch a tent. It was like in some trees in the woods. It really wasn't like a road or the bathrooms way far away. You had to drive to them if you needed to go to the bathroom. Like they were far. I've done it. It was also just a weekend. So it's not like you can't go pee behind a tree and be fine. Like that's not that hard. I am going to say I will take to answer your questions. No, you don't have a you don't have electric. I mean, you have electricity, but it's similar to Cali. Like you just don't have AC at all. Um, So for me, I would say I would rather take a week without AC than me having to go camp and poop in the um, wilderness and tent all of that one because I'm just not I look I like nature but I don't want to sleep in it give me glamping (laughs) give me somewhere where I can actually take a full shower because I take two showers a day like you mess you throwing off my whole entire hygiene I don't like it so that would be the one So yeah, you wouldn't have liked our camping trips back in the day then. It was a good time though. The one with your dad? Yes. See, I would do the van. Exactly. But you got to do that in, you know, by the tent. Uh -uh. I want a lake. Yeah, we can go in the lake and I just walk to the camp. No, it is. That's not camping. No, that's the cabin in the woods. There's a movie about that. Yeah, that's scary. Okay, ladies. So my very, very wonderful host, co-host, leader of the pod, Nakai, brought this beautiful quote to my attention. It is by Resma Manakeem, and it says, trauma decontextualized within a person looks like personality. Trauma decontextualized within a family looks like family traits. And trauma decontextualized within a people looks like culture. So that quote hit me dead in my face. I'm talking about I listened to it five times and on one of the times I replaced trauma because if y'all follow the podcast, you know, we like to replace trauma with emotional hurt. So the first time, well, after I listened to it twice, I interchanged trauma for emotional upset and then decontextualize means, you know, to be placed within. So I changed that into the other words and oh my goodness. I just felt like this was the deepest quote, especially when dealing with our parenting episodes. What do y'all feel about it? And do you need me to read it again? Okay. It says trauma decontextualized within a person looks like personality. Trauma decontextualized within a family looks like family trait. And trauma decontextualized within a people looks like culture. Yeah. Um, it's funny. Like um, I went to a trichologist um, and that's like, like someone who, uh, helps with your hair holistically. Right. And so she was asking me and I said, well, I think, you know, the issue that I'm struggling with is also hereditary. And I said, cause my mom has the same thing. And she said, no, stop. You know, she was like, people use hereditary, like in the wrong situations. And she was like, what it is, is that you inherited the same traits that your mama did, you know, like 
like the hairstyles and the treatment of of your hair, you did those same things. So a lot of times it's just patterns that have been passed on from generation to generation. But then we'll just say, oh, well, I think it's hereditary, you know. And so I feel like that's one of those things, too. I can definitely see that. So kind of looking at the difference between and I know this is not necessarily the right use of the word, but the difference between genetics and epigenetics. So listeners, in case you didn't know, epigenetics is when there is something that happens, be it environmental, like say doing a hairstyle or saying it was storming at night or a really bad storm or period when somebody was pregnant or just, you know, when your grandmother, mama was pregnant with your mama. Later, they've shown in studies that up to two generations or so, you can still see effects and results in that through the offspring. So kind of like what your trichologist was saying, y'all did the same hairstyles and it's not that it was passed through the genes. It's just the environment. It created the same result. Yeah. that's And that's such a crazy thing too, because it's like just going back to the to the to the saying that we just that you just quoted earlier it's like I had been going to like a lot of hairstylists and stuff and that was the main question they would ask me well is it hereditary is it hereditary and so I think that that's just important because it's like most people misplace you know what I'm saying and they 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 do decontextualize like a lot of issues you know instead of placing them in the right categories and so I just feel like that's just like a really I don't know I don't know if it's deep or what but yeah. <laughs> yeah. And before I let Nakai Sunny D chime in, listeners, in case you feel like, oh, that voice sounds familiar, I can't place it. You know, that's friend of the pod, Brianna. She came and sat with us. So we just having a good old girl talk here. We got our, our three faves. We got our cousin, cousin of the pod here. So yeah, we just kicking it. But that, y'all were right with that voice. Y'all know y'all heard right. But Nakai Sunny D, what y'all think about that? So when I saw this, my, I guess I kind of had a similar feeling like, everything makes sense all of a sudden type of thing. And it's crazy because when it's something that is so accepted or in behaviors that are just repeated, you know, through yourself or through a family or through, you know, a group of people and it becomes the norm and we just accept that as what that is. And that's just, you know, these are just the family traits and this is how people in this family behave or react or what have you. And really breaking that down on a much deeper level and understanding that that is emotional upset or, you know, that when I saw that I was, I had to read that multiple times just to process like each little sentence or section of that, because I was like, damn, that's true. Like, that's such a major, that's such a major like light bulb that went off. And yeah, I, you, y'all gonna have to reread it and like write it down reread it over and over again to really let that sit and marinate and process it before you start to break it down. Because that was, it was very deep. Yeah, it'll be in the blog. But <laughs> what I thought about it was how we don't really talk about programming. And I think because how Brianna said, you know, every hairstylist she went to, they asked the first question, is it hereditary? Hereditary, hereditary, does it run in your family? Similar to like diabetes. Well, does anybody in your family have diabetes? Oh, you, since you're black, somebody in your family has it, you have it. Versus understanding it's not hereditary, it's the program that your family has put on you. It's the program that you really honestly unfortunately are susceptible to because as a kid you grow up and you don't have a what does it mean what am I trying to say you don't have a say in who programs you right and when you're programmed as an adult and I think nay you said it before you have to be able to allow your 
yourself to reintroduce yourself to people. You have to be able to reprogram yourself. You have to be able to relearn yourself. You have to be able to take away or decipher what was actually right in those situations and what I can take from and learn from and grow and what was trauma that was passed down and programmed into me because they didn't know, you know, how to deal with it themselves. So girl, yeah. And I love how you use the word programming because we are programmed in a multitude of different ways. Um, What came to thought with me when we're dealing with, you know, the trauma decontextualized within a people looking like culture as black people and people of the global majority, we're for the most part, either doing defensive parenting, I feel, or we're doing offensive parenting. So with the defensive parenting, I feel like that's parenting against your current stressors, like your family environment, like, is it abusive? Um, Do you have family dynamics that are in the way, like alcoholism, those kind of things. But sometimes I feel like we're dealing with offensive parenting. So parenting that we don't even think about, but we're trying to jump ahead up. So that's kind of dealing with police brutality against Black people. That's dealing with racism, dealing with kind of thinking that you have to behave or portray yourself as a certain way as a Black person to make it more palatable to the masses. And honestly, all that's trauma. That is all trauma. Whether you want to think about it or not, that is causing you emotional upset regardless of if you consciously or unconsciously think about it, because I should not have to think about what color hoodie my baby is going to wear when he steps out this door. That's trauma. So ladies, let's get into it. What are some of these things that we think, you know, are just Black people stuff or things that we've heard that might actually be like, huh, that's some trauma. Anybody want to go first? A funny story. This past, last weekend, um, one of my little cousins graduated. And so we were all staying in the hotel together and she has a brother. He's 17. And um, I had been trying to wake him up for like 10 minutes. I mean, I was going over there, pushing him, shoving him. He was knocked out. He did not get up. And then I finally told one of his sisters, I was like, man, y'all get with him. I'm not going to deal with him. And then I told my cousin, his mama, I was like, I'm done. My hands are tied. You know, we got, and everybody's like, get up, get up, get up. And then we heard cop um, sirens go out. And my cousin said, oh, he'll wake up then. I kid you not. This little boy popped up out of the bed. It's funny, but it's also traumatic as hell. You know what I'm saying? Like, bro, I've been pushing on you for the past 10 minutes and your behind didn't get up. And then you heard them cop sirens. And before he popped up, my cousin said, okay, he's going to pop up. And he literally right up out the bed. That's trauma. (laughs) That's that offensive. Like, you know that there's nothing to be defending him of. He an innocent child. He is sleeping in his own home. But as Black people, we know them sirens go on. Oh, you need to get up. You need to be cognizant of your surroundings. Like, you need to find which way to go, which exit and everything else. Once again, trauma. Why we got to do that? You know, some other kind of people been sleeping in their bed soundly and still needed somebody to wake up. But as Black people, we know them sirens tell you something. What else? What else do y'all just come to mind? And I'm going to let y'all think. But thing that comes to my mind, whoopings. As Black people. Now, maybe y'all parents was a little bit more, 
I ain't even going to say advanced, but enlightened more than mine were. Let my mama tell us she only whooped us a handful of times, but in my eyes, that seemed like way more. But whoopings, mad traumatic. But I feel like whoopings were the tool used to get kids to comply when people were tired or they had things to do. It's a quick, easy way to change behavior, but that's mad traumatic. You want to invoke physical punishment or physical violence upon my body to comply form into a way that you decide it was right. If you are an adult, that never flies. But we do that to children. Nakai? Yes. Um, so I thought about two things. The first one was an experience at my old job where when everything happened and we were trying to get a diversity, inclusion and equity, equality person to come in and talk to our team. Um, I had to explain to my old manager what trauma was for a black person. And her husband is a BEA agent, if that makes sense. And so I was like, and I explained it to the point of, I was like, well, your husband husband gets in the car, he drives home, he doesn't have to look around or if a cop comes, he doesn't have a physiological reaction, right? He just drives. He gets home. Your son, when he gets on the bus, he walks home. You're not worried about that. You may be worried about like, oh, he may get kidnapped, meaning like human trafficked or something like that. The area we were in was high human trafficking area, but you don't worry about that. And I told her, I was like, as a black woman, my ex at the time, I said, I worry that when he drives home, he gets pulled over and he he may die. I worry that when I get in the car and I go to someone's home on the job that they may see the color of my skin and I get shot on the job because being black. That's a level of trauma and a level of awareness that you will never understand. And she said, oh, well, I'm Mexican. Okay, cool. You look, you're blonde and blue eyed. You definitely have a past. And so that was the first thing I thought about. And then the other thing I thought about was like how we were programmed in trauma of like, I don't know about y'all, but the one thing that was so traumatic for me growing up is like when some when you get in trouble at school and they're like, oh, let me call your parents because, you know, if your parents got their phone call from school, what was going to happen when you got home? You was going to get a whooping. And I was like, no, 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 I'll be good. I'll be good. I'll stop talking. They're like, no, I'm going to call them anyway. You're like <laughs> to touch on what Nakai just said. I think one of the things that came to my mind is just the, the heightened level of awareness, environmental awareness in any place that you are, you go and the immediate search for other people that look like you, you know what I mean? So whether that be, you know, at Target or at the mall or at a job, especially when you get a new job and pre-COVID when people were, you know, the majority of people are going somewhere for work because a lot more people are remote now. Uh, But that's one of the first things you do is look around who else in the office looks like you do. Are you the only, you know, speck of pepper and all the salt? You know what I'm saying? So it's those things that you don't even that other people, you know, not part of the global majority and other cultures may not instinctively do. And the realization is they most likely don't. But that's I think that's something as a people that we do like automatically. And you're just aware of who's around and where's the exit. You know, you there's always an exit strategy or something like that. So that was one of the first thoughts that, that I had. Sunny D, you hit the nail on the head because I was just about to follow up with the brief aside of not only do you look for the other person who skin tone closely matches your own, but you also look for them exits. Because I know as a Black woman in society, people will run over my falling down Black butt to get to some kind of exit. So wherever I go in any building, where's the exit? Now, is this a situation if some go down that I'm going to have to drop to the 
flow shimmy like a snake to get to that exit? Like, can I knock over some things? But why do I have to do that in every place that I'm in? Why? I was thinking about a lot, but that's funny because even like what Sunny D was saying, it was funny because um, Nakai had came to my house a couple of weeks ago and one of my cousins was here and they had already met before. But then once they realized and it resonated that they knew each other, they were just like all extra and like, oh my God. Hey, you know, and we were start. We were just laughing. We were like, "Why do black women do that?" Like, as soon as we realize we have a connection with each other, why do we do that? But it's like what Sunny D says. Like, when we go to places, that's what we do. We look for somebody who looks like us because it's like almost like a sense of safety or relaxation or calmness when you're like, "Okay, hey sis, okay, good." You know what I'm saying? And even sometimes, I don't know, like if you in places like that, y'all will give each other a look, or y'all may just end up sitting beside each other, you know, because the the reality is like, we don't feel safe. And then when we talk about safety, I remember when uh, Sandra Bland had just passed away and I got pulled over by the cops. And the first person I called was my mama while while the cops were pulled over. And then we were in like this, supposed to be this healing circle at work where it was a, a mixture of races. And another black girl shared the same thing. I didn't even share mine. She said every time if she gets pulled over by a cop, she calls her mama. And then this other one of my other friends had wrote on Facebook how she had gotten pulled over by a cop and she said she just started crying and the cop was like what's wrong what's wrong and luckily you know he had a good spirit but he hugged her and he prayed with her and sent her on her way because he understood you know that's trauma right and then I also just think about we always talk about we're going to get into the trope right but like this black woman trope that's going around and I think it was a white cop yeah yeah and but don't quote me on that I'm not really one hundred percent sure. It's been years ago, but it's just it doesn't matter. It's just the act of getting pulled over. It it, it doesn't matter because we don't know at the time if it's a white cop or a black cop or a Hispanic cop or an Asian cop. We don't know. It's just the act of getting pulled over because I've always heard this quote: "People do not understand how when you're supposed to call the help, but our people fear the help. That's a whole nother trauma. You know what I'm saying? Y'all don't understand. Like the people that were designed to help us, we're afraid of them. Like that's a whole nother level. But then when we talk about black woman trope, like I was thinking about that because as a culture, like if I make a mistake at work, it's a mistake for all black women. If other races make a mistake at work, it's like, oh, okay, well, she just didn't do right. So that's traumatic as well. So we got all of these different things coming up on us that we don't, other people don't understand like what's going through our psyche when we're making decisions and choices that we're making. And I want to say you hit on Brianna so many points, so many things as black women and not just specifically black women, but black men as a black person we have and we have so much stress on us. But you also said, which I'm going to steer to this one where you said we fear the help, which is so interesting to me of like how we understanding what stress is first and understanding how that truly affects your body and creates sicknesses. Right. But also when you said fear the help, what hit in my mind because Nay and I used to work at the same job. And luckily I'm, I'm blessed to have met her there and to see you know, a little sprinkle in there. You know, I was like, oh my God, we, we got each other. Yes. <laughs> but also the population we worked with was foster care. Some kids were abused and everything. And like what I, when you said fear the help, what triggered in my mind was when you fear your parent and that's your help. Or when you fear your foster parent who's supposed to be the one that's protecting you and that's your help. 
help. And you go out and ask somebody else in the family, hey, help, help. And they're like, oh, you're okay. Oh, you're being too sensitive. Oh, this person didn't do that. Now you're creating this human or this adult who doesn't even know what help is. Or if they understand help, their help isn't help because their fear, if I tell my spouse or my boyfriend or girlfriend or someone this hurt, will they actually listen to me? Or hence, if I get pulled over, is this going to be a God fearing cop that helps me? Or is this going to be a, I won't say that. (laughs) I'm learning. (laughs) Or is this going to be a, okay, I can't say that. Is this going to be a non-melanated human? Well, I can't say that because you said the other cop was white. Dang, if this, if this is going to be a spawn of Satan, that's going to try to kill me. So listen, ladies. That was better than everything else I was thinking about. I was just about to say kudos to you because that was probably the most politically correct phrasing that you had in your little soul. Bless your heart. It was. Thank you. But what you said struck something in me to circle it all the way back around to parenting. What if that situation that that child is in is just the norm for all of the parents and adults around them? And it took them being the unblemished, like blank slate, like everything is new, but something don't feel right in me to bring it to people's attention. Like, what do you do then? And that goes back to the trauma decontextualized in a family as just a family trait. The rest of the family, the rest of the adults thinking that that's just the normal and that poor little child like, wait, something is making me feel unsafe. Something isn't sitting right with me and trying to find help within them. Wild. Real wild. Yeah. And it's like even piggyback off of that, it's like what we're talking about too at the beginning, it it, it can kind of come out as a personality trait, right? Because what happens is like what Nakai was saying, then they go ask for help from other people and then those people, you know, don't, don't respond in the way in which they should. So then what happens is that psychologically, they just start to shut down mentally, emotionally, physically, right? And then they just learn a behavior of not trusting people. And then let's say, God forbid, but it happens all the time, they end up having kids. Well, then they're going to keep treat their kids the way in which they were treated. And so now we have a learned behavior, right? And so now we have a personality thing because, or we feel like it's a personality thing, but it's been a trauma that's happened. Now we have something that's been passed down from from generation to generation. And now, you know, we're saying it's a cultural thing or a a family thing when really, no, it was a learned behavior that someone had the ability to stop generations before, but never did. That reminds me of, and I don't remember, I don't think this was anything that came up in any previous episode. It may have been something that I've seen on Instagram or something like that. But I recently remember seeing, I think it was like a meme or post or something like that, that was specifically in relation to like being called the black sheep of the family and not necessarily being the black sheep because you're odd or you're weird or any of those type of things, but because you're the general curse breaker. Did you guys see that? You know what I'm talking about? So that's when, when, when they mentioned that, that was one of the first things that popped into my mind is you have this family of, you know, these generations of behaviors and, and treatments, people or whatever that happen. And you have that one person that's like, hold up, is this not, am I the only one seeing this? And now you seem like the oddball out. And so that creates a whole other set of perspectives that people have with you or whatever. But what if you're not a black sheep? What if you're the one who recognizes and sees the trauma or the issue or the hurt that's happened and you're the one that is changing it? So that's what I thought about. I'm so glad you brought that up because I really wish we would change that term black sheep. And I say that because I feel like we live in a world where anything associated with black is bad. 
bad or it's, you know, it's something to be feared. And I say that one, because I know I am the black sheep in my um, family and it's a lot, right? And I would say one, because I challenge those norms. I challenge your why. I And it's not like I challenge you, but I really want to know why. Why do we do this as a family? Why did you say this? Why? As a kid, it was different because again, like we talked about earlier, your program, I, I grew up in a religious home where you don't question adults. You as a child, you sit on the side, you stay in a child's place. But as an adult, you I have a voice now. So now my question is, why do we do this? Why is it this? Why is this okay? And for someone to have, and I'm going to use the a huge outlier, if a kid has experienced rape, whether that's a male or female kid, and, and I, we see it so many times where the child has told the parent and specifically most of the time it's a mother and the mother is like, oh, well, no, you, you know, you caused it or you don't know what you're talking about or something like that. And it's like, you just basically created this child where now this kid wanted to come to you for help. You're not there. And this child, like, how do you challenge even that? Sorry, my brain is like going a million miles per hour right now. But being in that type of situation, how do you pull, like you said, how do you question of like, was this right or was this not? As an adult, you learn it. But as a child, you don't know that. And where do you get your help from when you're a kid? And not even a kid. I'm going to say adolescence because it happens to a lot of adolescents too of like, and we're, I'm using rape as an example, but we're looking at physical abuse, emotional abuse, verbal abuse. There are so many different types of trauma. And I, I'll stop there. So you said a lot and it is a lot to unpack and tease through, but I want to comment on one portion that you made when referring to yourself about how you were the child who was always questioning and everything else and always wanted to know why is this that way and why is that way, this way and everything. It reminded me of something I read. I want to say it was NPR because that's mostly what my podcasts are. But this woman was saying that she read in an article that as Black women specifically, when we have a child and I know that I'm the only mom on here, but y'all have kids in your lives. You probably have nieces, nephews, or you've even heard this. When somebody compliments our Black children, our first thought is to say, if they say, oh, they're so smart, they're like, oh, well, they talk all the time. They did it and start putting all these negative attributes in that. It came to be that that was actually a residual trauma from slavery, thinking that if you downplay the intellect, downplay the gifted talents of your child, it would make it less desirable to the slave enslavers. So Nakai, people telling you why you need to just accept things or you need to quit asking all those questions might subconsciously be those epigenetic results from slavery of, well, if she gets too smart, then she's going to be a threat in the public. So I want to protect her. So she's not going to cause undue harm or unintentional harm to herself. So in talking about this episode in the things that we do, parenting by default versus intentional parenting, when my child was under a year old, I found myself rolling into those same tropes. So I had to consciously tell myself that you can't say that. Like when somebody gives your child a compliment, just take it or to leave with the positive connotations because it's in us and it's so entrenched that you don't even realize you're doing it. And I love my kid. My kid's my homie, my bestie. But it was just almost automatic to say, oh, he's so cute. He's all right. Or, oh, he's so smart. Well, you don't know X, Y, and Z that I've done to get there instead of just taking the compliment and rolling with it. Have y'all heard that happening? Or dare I say, have y'all been guilty of that as well? Don't leave me hanging on here. I was going to 
say, I'm so glad you said that um, because you sparked the memory in my brain of what my grandfather used to always tell me when I was growing up. And he would say, be careful with how and what you say to certain people because everyone is not, what he say? He was like, everyone is not God sent. So you don't know their intentions. So, and when you said that, it would make sense of like how I was as a kid or a young adult. And I'm like questioning everything. Like somebody say something to me, I would pop off in a heartbeat, like less than a heartbeat. If it's something I did not like, oh, I will ask my questions and we will get to the bottom of it. Right. But you saying that triggered of like, well, he, his upbringing was during slavery or like at the end of it. So he was literally saying that to protect me because if I said it to the wrong, let's be real. If I said that to the wrong white, white person at the wrong time, they didn't, they wouldn't have seen a black child. They would have seen a threat. Right. So that was my experience of thinking of that, of like, oh, dang, he was just trying to protect me. It's just so crazy. The things that we go through. So what are some lighter tropes that are ridiculous that have a twinge of trauma or whatever that we as black people say? Can y'all think of any? I'm gonna think of some too. Syrup sandwiches. What about syrup sandwiches? Come on. I I need to know. Don't do (laughs) that. Come on. Yeah, don't don't talk to them syrup sandwiches. Y'all know we tore them things up during the summer. (laughs) And why is that an emotional hurt? Let's break this down. Or were you just mad because you had to eat what? You was just mad. I was just mad. I had to eat them. And I was like, I don't want no dang syrup sandwich. So, yeah. <laughs> and then I thought of um, Kev on stage. Uh, he was like breaking down. I don't know if y'all follow him, but um, he's been breaking down. I'm like, if you ate this food when you were younger. <laughs> so he was talking about like syrup sandwich. I think he did like a ketchup or mayonnaise sandwich. I was like, who had mayonnaise in their house? Girl, I'm like, I grew up in the house. Like the only time we saw mayonnaise is when they were like making the, um, what's, what's that? Pota- potato salad? Yeah. So yeah, other than that, we didn't have mayonnaise in the house. We had mustard. Nah, I ate mayonnaise sandwiches. I'm not going to even lie to you. I hate mayonnaise now, but growing up, I did eat mayonnaise sandwiches. <laughs> so this is not emotional hurt. This this segment of the episode, this is just food that you ate if you... That was emotional you, hurt. That has nothing to do. That was a low socioeconomic level and Yoba was just mad because that's all you had. That's economics. That is different. But I do want to talk about ramen noodles and how I did think I didn't know that wasn't real ramen until I got a grown in an adult and I realized that ramen ramen is actually more toppings and better prepared but I thought all ramen was the menchuin and whatever that you got to crack open for the water with the little high sodium sauce packet I thought that was awesome all ramen but yeah enough of food what is some other like cultural <laughs> Other than syrups and just emotional hurt. You know, cleaning up before you leave. Like if you at a restaurant, you still got to wipe the table down because you've always heard people say, you know, got to leave it cleaner than what you left it as a black person. So they don't talk about you. That's one. Yeah. I'm so glad you said that. I was thinking of like at slumber parties or when you go to people's houses, you know, even if they're like, no, 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 don't clean. You're like, "Mm -mm, my mama said I need to come. Your house needs to be cleaner than what I left it. I will get in trouble if my mama came to your house right now. And she saw what your house looked like and knew I was here. Uh-uh. Mm-mm. It reminds me of our mindfulness retreat, the way we was cleaning that Airbnb before we left. <laughs> we was cleaning everything. We took all the sheets down. We did all the dishes. 
<laughs> took down all the decorations make sure we put no, no paint off the wall we was thorough okay there was how many was it like five of us five or six of us five of us we were thorough okay and she was like oh you don't have to do that we'll get no 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 we, listen if you tell us to start the, the washing machine we'll start that whole too okay absolutely I don't know if any of y'all's upbringing was like mine but my mama always said growing up if you leave the house make sure you got on good draws because you don't know if you're gonna get into an accident and something happened now I don't know what kind of accident is gonna strip me down to my underwear but <laughs> that process of you don't want nobody to think you dirty you don't that was the underlying message you don't want nobody to think you dirty you don't want nobody to think that you can't afford good underwear or you got to wear a holy underwear see it's that trauma that you know negative perception of we got to be better than and everything else because what's wrong if you can't afford it some people can't and that should be okay but yeah that's that's that black people you got to wear good draws at all times that is one i actually keep a spare pair of underwear in my bag at all times truly i do yeah don't ask me why it's Trauma. it was like just in case Trauma. just in case it's like it's in my work bag at work you never know i don't know that's definitely one of them the other one that i thought of was being in the house for the street lights come on always and it's much earlier in the fall months because the sun set a lot faster set at 3 30 and you don't even have time to be outside on the jungle gym but your ass better be in this house and even with that it was crazy because my boy cousins even though they were younger than us and the girls they could go further outside and play and they could stay out a little bit later so that was one too i was gonna say um when she when she said the panties i was like oh as a woman don't we all keep a spare pair of panties in the car if you could you know monthly flow you you gotta be quick on that. And so I was just like, oh, maybe that's why. <laughs> She's like, nah, not at all. Um, but I also thought of like being like, go to your room when you do something of like, just go to your room, go to your room. And there's no talking about, you're just in trouble. And the trauma of like, well, what did I do? I don't know, just go to your room. Or because I, the words, because I said so. Lord, Lord, Lord. That is so traumatic because it's like, well, why did you say it? What did I do? Are you gonna explain? Is this gonna be a conversation? Like, I don't know. What did I do? Go to your room. Okay, I'm going to my room. Leave me Oh, that's right up there in my thought process with the whip with the whoopings. Let's be honest, a lot of our parents parented us out of tiredness and out of just safety, not conversation, not so that we can be full, well-rounded, emotionally secure and healthy individuals, but just I gotta make sure you're safe and I'm tired. I ain't got time for all this talk. I ain't got time for all this conversation. If I know you in your room, you safe, you are ready up to no good and no good being you're a curious child but it's like no you need to get where I know you're safe because I'm tired and I can't come trusting behind but that that's a whole nother my pet peeve ladies I have a question because I think this is some emotional upset and some trauma but it might not be black people telling you to turn off all the lights and the electricity when it's storming wait a minute why am I one time I had a project I was working on for school and it was lightning my grandma let me put the scissors up. I couldn't cut. I could not put them scissors up, Brie. I was like, it's just like <laughs> <laughs> but that's now is that trauma I feel like there is a trauma component to that is it because back in you know the enslavement times and sharecropping times we didn't have the best infrastructure on houses so if lightning was gonna strike it's gonna strike our stuff make it make sense because I ain't never uh, 
understood that why do I have to sit in this tub <laughs> just because the Lord decides to create a little bit of lightning out there? Why? Now I got to go bed because ain't nothing else to do. Ain't no TV on, ain't no lights on. You basically told me to go to bed. Make it make sense, Lord. Make it make. Thank you for that one. That brought back so many memories. That's so true. <laughs> Cousin looking crazy, trying to play Uno in the dark. You don't know who put down what color. <laughs> You're looking crazy. But honestly, also, parenting by default. This is stuff that we should be told why are we doing this foolishness, why are we doing it. But instead, now we got generations upon generations of just shutting the whole house down just because it's a little bit of lightning. Sunny day. <laughs> that made me think of just the other day and I was at work and a coworker and I, we were just walking down the hallway and we passed the bathroom, like one of our employee bathrooms. Door is open and the lights are is on. So usually if the door is open, that means it's available. So it's empty. Anybody can use it. But the light was on and the door was open. So nobody's in it. And I'm like, it's just automatic. You turn off unnecessary lights, just walking around, whether it's your house, whether it's your job, whether anywhere, unnecessary lights, you just turn them off for no reason. And I'm like, why is this on? And her and I, and we're both black, her and I were like, why are people leaving all these unnecessary lights? <laughs> turn the lights in the break room. <laughs> just walking down the hallway. We don't need this. Turn it off. I don't know why we do that. It's so automatic, but you just grow up doing that. You, you ain't in the kitchen, turn the lights off. And if the, the light on the stove is on, that means the kitchen is closed. You can't go there no more. I don't know why we do these things, but it was cracking me up. Girl, pet peeve of mine. People who leave out of their house with the TV still on, who watching it? Who is watching that TV? Nobody. And we've been in a hotel living for the last two months. Do you think I don't turn off this AC every time we leave out this door? This ain't my bills. These ain't my utilities. Who need a cool room? Ain't nobody in there. Yep. Me when uh, I come back. <laughs> no, that's because I'm not paying that bill. Now, if it was my house, it'd be something different. It would be very different. Like, uh-uh, when I leave, everything's off. But I was thinking, like, I leave the TV on for my dog. Like, the dog needs to watch TV. Yes. People do yes. that. People do that. Yes. They'll put on Animal Planet or something. Mm-hmm. Don't, 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 don't respond to that, Nay. Just keep it moving. <laughs> I know that happens because my sibling just got a pet and they informed me that there is a whole channel for people Yes, yes. When they leave their pets at home, there's a whole channel for the pet. So I know it's possible. But unless that is an influencer dog, he ain't paying no bill, ain't bringing no money in this house. You don't get no TV. I tell my own flesh and blood child, he don't pay no TV bill. He don't get no TV privileges when he wants to. You have to contribute to this housely income to be able to get free reign. Ain't no going in refrigerators when you want to. You don't pay that energy bill. He ain't bring that food in this house. You ask. But once again, traumatic black Mama me. I was about to say, can we talk about the traumatic <laughs> of like, you don't pay no bills, you don't do this. And it's like, dang, well, what can I do? Sit and just sit still and breathe. But even then, if you breathe too hard, I'm going to tell you to go to your room. Like, sit and boy. be thankful. But once again, that's why I say this is a process. <laughs> We ain't going to solve this overnight because I am a Black woman who has been raised by Black women who was raised by a Black woman. This stuff is instinctual. Sunny D. I'm going to get me an influencer dog and they're going to have their own IG page. Dominique, I, that's what I'm going to do because that, that tore me to pieces right there. Hey, I'm telling you, them dogs, you can you can go viral real quick. You just film something crazy they doing, but I'm like with yes. Nay, like unless you pay an electricity or you can get greater value dog food, you have one or the other. You want to watch TV while I'm gone and get off-brand dog food or you want the good stuff and you can't watch no TV while I'm gone. So y'all ain't y'all ain't y'all 
ain't animal. Y'all ain't pet parents because yeah, I just feel like this is so wrong. What you know what? Thank you. I'm I'm gonna be real cognizant when I need one of y'all to uh, babysit my doggy babies. I'm like, you know what? Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, Once make again, me the last resort. I am a parent, parent, and my child don't have these privileges. Your dog definitely ain't. Come to TT Nay's house if you want to. They won't. They entertainment will be my child who also don't get unlimited TV privileges. Just them and the dog. But speaking of that, y'all know y'all gotta help me be the best mama. So this back half of the episode, how can we move past all of this ingrained trauma that is in us as a people? What are some things that we can do? Well, you know, one thing I did want to ask to you guys, because, you know, I think sometimes when we talk about trauma, trauma, trauma in our race, we're just talking about all the bad stuff. Right. And I I think about this when I was interviewing women for um, the presentation I was putting together and I had titled it, my mother is disqualified to teach me what she didn't learn. And, you know, I was asking them all these questions about, you know, just how trauma affected their childhood growing up. But then my question, my last question to them was, well, what are some great things that we, I I think it needs to be a balance. Yeah, there's some bad things traumatically that we've carried on, but what are some of those good things that we've learned from our parents? And I think that maybe that'll even speak to, nay, your question of like, what are some of those tips and what are some of those pointers? And I'll even go first. My family is very loving, right? Um, And if you, if you hear most of me and my family on the phone, people are really shocked because before we get off of the phone, it's like, okay, love you. Bye. You know, and that is something that a lot of my friends, they think it's weird. And so I'll say that one thing, because I was able to grow up around a family that is very loving. That is something great that I've been able to, you know, now bring into my adult life. That's good. I could go next. My mom might've been a trailblazer in her own right. She always encouraged me and my brother, but more I think I more so took it to heart to ask questions. Like she said, always ask the question. If you don't know, ask the question so much so. And she always, you know, would encourage us and low key force us to seek the answer to things. There'd be times I'd ask my mom, so why is such and such like this? She would know the answer, but she would say, I don't know, you go find it and make me search for the answer myself. Growing up, I thought she ain't know nothing. But she actually was fostering in me to not only have the confidence to ask the question, but also do what it takes to find your own solution. And I think a lot of times we don't encourage the inquisitiveness. We don't encourage the curiosity. But even in encouraging the curiosity, we just give people the answer. And then they have all the questions, but they don't know where to go after that question. So I think she did me a tremendous service by encouraging me to ask the questions, but also don't let it stop there to seek out an answer and try to find the answer myself. I think at least for me, one of the things that I have picked up from my mom specifically is the importance of self-awareness and independence and really understanding kind of honing in my opportunity and ability to provide for myself and to take care of myself and to not necessarily depend on anyone, but to also be self 
aware in who I am and in her words, who I belong to, i.e. the Lord. <laughs> and uh, and just to really not be ashamed of any of that. And I'm very strong-willed and independent because of that. And one of the things I've taken from my dad is the importance of safe communication. And I mentioned this before on one of our past episodes, the um, kind of like secret language that he and I created in order to communicate with one another. And that's really helped me to feel safe in my own thoughts in some instances. And there's a lot of times that there's a lot of times that I would um, use that secret code to communicate with him. The majority of it though, because he had passed when I was so young, the majority of the time that I've used it was for myself. And I would actually journal in this code because that was one of the ways that I felt safe enough to communicate what my thoughts are and things like that. And those, those are two of the things that I want to pass on to, you know, future children that, um, that I get to have in allowing them to feel safe in their communications with their parents and um, be able to understand their independence and be self-aware and recognize who they are and who they want to be and really kind of nurture that as they grow. So I, I took one from, from each of my parents because they had different views on some things that were pretty game-changing, at least for me, especially now as a mid-30s adult. And I guess I'll end this question with, since but technically you two took my other ones, I was like, no! <laughs> I'll find some new ones. But um, for my grandfather, the one thing I love that he would always say is limit your expectations of others. Because when you put your expectations on other people, you don't allow them to be who they are. Because now if they don't live up to what you feel they should be, then you're always mad or disappointed or angry with that person when they were showing you what they really are. But you had unrealistic expectations. And then the other one with my grandma. So my grandma is bang, like for real. But what she, it's true, girl. I'll tell it to her face. You bang. But but what she taught me was understanding presentation, meaning in her vanity, she would never go out the house without a full, you know, without full face makeup, without, you know, presenting herself. And so that's one thing I take away from that, because I know like in our age, we're like, oh, I'm just going to the store. Let me throw on some sweats. Hurt. Oh, I'm going to the store. Let me put my makeup on. Let me get a cute outfit. She has just now transitioned to wearing jeans and like throwing on stuff but even the face is still beat face and face and hair is still beat but that teaches that has taught me of like I'm not gonna lie I still go to the store whatever I want to wear but when I'm going to certain places always put your best foot forward always understand because you never know who you're around and you never know who's in that area so I could be going to the store in some sweats and like a crop or whatever but what if you know my future husband was there or like what if LeBron was there would I want him to see me in this or probably so I wouldn't care but you know just understanding of putting your best foot forward specifically when it is like an event or you know you're speaking or something like that always come prepared and in part of that preparation is how you look because that's that's what people make in the first 15 seconds of you of what do you look like what are you wearing what is this so that's a good one I was gonna say those are all good and to kind of like nay since you were asking like what um maybe some tips and pointers were. I was just going to give a recap of like kind of what we all said. And it's like, we're talking about love. So making sure that children as parents, that your children know that they are loved, giving them that space to be heard. And I think also giving them that space to be heard allows them to feel like they're being seen. Because I think when you shut them down and quiet them, then it also makes them feel like they're not seen. And then that creates a whole nother issue.
issue of things. Um, and then I loved, you know, just having a like a safe communication code, which is good because maybe you are in a space where you're not able to freely communicate with one parent, but having the ability to like, OK, I do have a safe communication code, which really helps um, limiting expectations of others is like golden. I think that that really it takes it takes one part of the stress off where like when you're expecting things from people and then they don't build up to your expectations, it kind of protects you from like that emotional hurt from other people in a sense. And then always putting your best foot forward. I feel like that's something that we should teach our children. I think, you know, and then kind of going into this, Nate, is a question that I actually have for you. I think one of the things with, with this current generation is that as far as putting your best foot forward, I don't know if they kind of do that in a respectful way. Um, or I'm not, you know, I'm not even going to get into that. I'm just going to ask you my question that I have, because one of the things that Nakai said earlier on was she was like, in the past, we didn't have the choice. We were just told what to do. And also it was because in our generation, we didn't have the internet, you know? And so now these children have the internet. And so one of the things that we see that is different in parenting now is that children early on have the ability to learn things. And then what you'll see is that when parents, when children are coming back, asking their parents questions that they don't have the answers to, well, then that's when they get their frustration as well of like, well, what you talking about? No, you know, and they don't even take the time to have that dialogue with them. So one of the things that, you know, I'm wondering as a new generation parent, like how are some of the ways are you, are you as a parent or as you like in newer parenting communities, being able to cultivate the ability that these children do have access to information so early on. And I'll say this, like, I'll give you an example. I thought cops were okay. I didn't understand that, you know, there was a danger between, like, I knew that there was like some type of racial issues between cops as far as black and white. But for the most part, I was um, sheltered from that. It wasn't until I got in college and moved to Dallas that I saw and witnessed police brutality with my own eyes. And then it changed thinking like now, like our children now have the ability to see all this police brutality. Our children have the ability to see racism. Our children have the ability to see, you know, just so many different topics. So like, Nay, how are you and new parents kind of, you know, what practices are y'all using to kind of cultivate that and give the the kids the space to kind of be themselves and to ask questions? Well, girl, that's hard. That is extremely hard because my child is three and with him being three, he is a precocious three. He is a social three and he goes to anybody he sees and he's like, hello, hola, da, da, da. And the trauma background of me is like, boy, you don't talk to just anybody. That's how you get taken. You too cute to be just being so social. That's how you get taken. That's how your mama ends up in a life of crime. Like I'm trying to forecast 50 steps and prevent. But it's the, okay, he is social. I have to let him be social and I have to be cognizant of our surroundings. So I implemented the one high rule. So he says hi to a person one time. If they respond, that's cool. If they don't, that's also cool because he also will say hi 50 million times and dang near bully you went to saying hi back. Also with police and everything, our family is unique. We have cops in our family. So on one hand, he does get the you go to cops for your safety and everything else. But we also, unfortunately, we haven't started this now because he's still too young. We have to teach him about racism and about how because he's going to walk in this world 
as a pretty much bigger Black boy, he will be perceived as a Black man before he even hits Black manhood. So I'm definitely not looking forward to those conversations with him that, let's be honest, are steeped in trauma of why he can't do X, Y, and Z, why he can't present himself in this, that, and the third way. Because it is me trying to protect him on the front end by just saying, don't do this until he has the mental capacity to understand why it is so. And then with the social media and everything else, or with the internet and media in general, he has ABC Mouse. We let him engage in media, but we're right there sitting with him. We have controls on everything. I literally have to type in a code that he almost knows. So we don't have to change the code because like I said, he's smart. But we sit right there with him. I know what he's on, what he's not on. I had to take you two kids off because it was too many situations of grown people playing with toys and fight me. But that don't seem like it is healthy and it should be happening. So we monitor what he should and shouldn't be on. So we're really active in his life. And we're not opposed to having those conversations, those tough conversations. But I think it's also important to have them in an age-appropriate manner because I don't want him to walk in the world being fearful of being in his body as well. And I think sometimes when we expose our little ones to things of that serious nature too soon, we have them thinking that there's fear to be in their body or have them angry at the body that God has blessed them with. And I never want him to be either angry or fearful of being the amazing, wonderful Black boy child that he is. Thank you for saying that because that's what I was thinking like even when I was hearing you speak is that I feel like in our culture, we really need to focus on educating our children with the ability for them to keep their individuality. And I think that that's something that other races do a good job at is that they're able to teach their children, but still allow their children to have choices. But, you know, within our generation, it's just like, no, why? Because I said so, you know, and we don't allow them. So then that's why when we get into adulthood, we trying to figure out who we are because we don't know because I'm my grandma. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? I got to cut the lights off when it's lightning, you know, and I don't know. So I I think that, and I know that our time is almost running out, but I kind of want to focus on parents for, for like this question Um, as a parent. And as you are doing this new age parenting, I'm sure that you get a lot of flack possibly from your mother or from other older siblings. So what are some ways for your listeners who are in your same situation that are parents that are getting flack from, you know, older generation people about how they're parenting? How, how can they kind of combat that? So anybody who knows me in my personal life know that I am a educated snarky person. <laughs> so as soon as I started getting flags about my parenting, first of all, I am a social worker by education and I've worked in the child education spaces my whole life. I mean, I did a few cents in retail, but my background is children developmentally and families in general. So anytime people came at me at my parenting, I just sent them nice little journal articles about why my way is right and why their way is antiquated or harmful to a child developmentally or emotionally. You've seen people enough three, four page um, essays and websites and everything else. They're going to quit talking about you. And the fact that I think I said this on a previous episode, I get the same results that people in previous generation and people who old school parent get with not nearly as much trauma or abuse or anything else. We don't whoop our child. We don't yell at our child. My child heard me raise my voice because the TV was loud. He almost shrank in himself because that's not his 
is normal. He is the loudest person in my home. (laughs) So you can get the same results. It's just choosing to choose a different way. And it's not the easier way by any means. Like it takes a lot of self-reflection. It takes a lot of checking yourself. It takes a lot of pausing in the moment and recalibrating your emotions and your thought processes, but you can do it. And for people who give you slack, just be confident and secure in the way that you parent and tell those other people to kick rock. And until they want to keep your child and parent your child and raise your child, don't say nothing about what you do to your child. That's not saying if you being abusive to your child, people can't come to you and correct you. But if I choose not to whip my child, so be it. If my child is over here screaming at the top of his lungs and fell out on the floor, is he safe? Is he bothering you? Even if he is bothering you, he's not bothering me and I'm his mama. If you don't like it, leave out my house. But that's just my parenting. Like I am here for all suggestions, but your suggestions will not become my reality. Sorry, not sorry. All right now. See, I hit a personal streak right there. My bad. Now I do have to say um, all that yelling, no, I can't do that. I can't do all that screaming and hollering on the floor. <laughs> but that's true though. That's really good. And it, it made me think about too, like what Nakai was saying earlier about limit your expectations of others. And it's like, if someone were to come to you and say, you know, you need to be doing this to your baby. You can just say, hey, you know, I'm sorry that I am not raising my child the way you expected me to raise them, how you raised me. But these are the practices I'm doing and they're working just fine. Thank you. Oh, girl, let me touch on that too. Cause I think me and Nakai had this conversation as well. I, as the black woman where I am in my life, I am no longer apologizing for things that don't need my apology for. I ain't saying I'm sorry for the way I'm raising my child. I'm raising my child. Like I'm done apologizing just because it makes people more comfortable. If your comfort depends on my apology, then you're just going to be uncomfortable. But I feel like we as black women, and this is a whole nother episode, but we as black women always want to apologize and make everybody else more comfortable. And that in turn kind of disqualifies and discredits what we do as ourselves. It discredits our feelings. It discredits our emotions. It discredits our just being in the world because we want to apologize for just existing and being and owning our truth. So yeah, I'm done apologizing for stuff that I feel like don't need an apology, but that's just me. But I love that you said that because I forgot who we were interviewing. And before we even started, um, she kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And I was like, stop saying you're sorry. You're not sorry. What do you have to be sorry for? Calm down, take a breath, refocus, let's regroup because there's no, but I thought of that when you said stop, you're at the point where you need to stop apologizing, right? And then what Brianna said of like, how did, how is this affecting you? How is this affecting your parenting? And I think we talked about this when we were talking about your episode of like discovering who you are. Uh, you can't have a, a you can't have a cha- an adult who is one assertive, able to take up for themselves, able to be a leader without having that child who is curious, inquisitive, wanting to explore. You can't have it both ways. And so in our culture, when we tell our kids to go to your room, sit down because I said so, leave it alone. You get this adult who's always, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And you're like sitting down. You sat, you, you just took a breath. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm breathing. Baby, you got to breathe if you alive. Like, come on now. <laughs> Stop apologizing. And so when you said that, that just like was like mind blowing to me of like we do and we really have to like stop, but that's intentional and we have to be conscious of if I'm, let me stop. I read this in a book and I loved it of like, there's a difference between I'm saying I'm sorry and I apologize. Meaning if I keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. My intention is I know I'm gonna do it again, but for you, I'm gonna say, I'm sorry, just to appease you. But if I say I apologize, the fact that I'm a 
apologizing, meaning I'm not going to do it again because I'm intentional. Uh, that was something I just didn't know or, you know, something like that. No, and it's so funny you say that because controversial hot take. I'm not teaching my child to say he's sorry. The thing that me and my husband are teaching our child is to when he does something I don't like, I tell him, oh, you hurt mommy. That made mommy feel sad and everything because I don't care if you say you're sorry because nothing burns my gears more than people apologizing and they don't mean it. I want him to know what he did and internalize how that made somebody else feel. And if he so chooses to make amends for that, have the information and the awareness to then come and say, I'm sorry. Because after he did whatever he did to me, I was like, babe, that hurt mommy. Mommy's feeling like mom, that hurt mommy's toe. Ow, that hurt me. He was like, oh, I'm sorry. But in that moment, he's recognizing what he did. And now he has empathy. And so now sorry just isn't an empty word and an empty phrase that he says just because he feels like somebody told him to, or that's just what you're supposed to do. I told him, I could care less if you say you're sorry, if you don't mean it, because that's nothing but empty words. But do you feel it? Do you have remorse? Do you have empathy? Those are what I'm trying to cultivate. That sorry can come and it can go, but I want him to have those core skills. I love that you say that too, because in play therapy, we teach parents when we do like, um, what's it called? The child parent relationship training. When we, we teach them what's called act which is like acknowledge the feeling that your child is seeing or acknowledge the feeling that you see communicate why which you you just did it if y'all need to rewind it she just did the perfect example with the toe and then you target an alternative meaning okay yes I you hurt mommy's toe okay how can we prevent it from you know going forward I honestly with him it was probably knowing him it was an accident but like when you have <laughs> understanding that and using and I really believe like what we use with children we can really use with adults and so like even with adults, if something is bothering you, use that act, acknowledge it, communicate and target. Because if you're using that, that helps with just that communication. But it also helps understand somebody's trauma, especially because we all have childhood trauma. But I don't know what I don't know because I didn't grow up with. And even if I did grow up with you, you could have two siblings in the same household, ex- have two totally different experiences. So it's all about, again, you think y'all said it at the beginning of like, how do you communicate? But and um, tying it back to like, if your parents are disqualified to even and teach you how to communicate, you got to learn it somewhere. Or let me rephrase, you should be able to learn it somewhere, but it's up to you to actually do the work to learn it. Yeah. And I think another piece that can flow at the end and we can get off of this subject. When people follow that act method, I think sometimes and justifiably so when they try to make amends, it is human nature to rebuff the comfort that they then seek from us, especially in children, because you're like, you just hurt my feelings. Like I need time to process. Meanwhile, they're trying to give you hugs and climb on your back and give you kisses and everything else. But especially with children, now with adults, it's a little bit different. But with children, you always got to accept the affection and the hug because you never want to get into a situation where kids feel like they're rejected because they don't have that vast breadth of emotions and capacity that they've worked through. Kids only know mommy's mad at me. I'm bad. I did something wrong. I said I was sorry, but I'm just a bad person because you rejected me. So yeah, that's where I'm 
my parents out there. I know sometimes you ain't over it. Trust me, there were plenty of nights where I was up till all day, all night long with that little something, something because he had a bad night and was crying and everything else. But that next morning, bright and early, he popped up was like, hey, mommy, ready to play and carry on the day. And I'm like, I'm not there yet. But you got to be there because your children need you to be there. They don't understand. (laughs) You know, and I feel like that's why this line is so unhealthy. Stop crying before I give you something to cry about. And that's that was one of those things where we were talking earlier about one of those cultural things that we were told. I I hate that, you know, because it's like now what y'all talking about with the ACT method and teaching children how to honor their emotions and teaching children how to effectively communicate what they're feeling. We're wondering now why people do things, even as, you know, fun, like how we make light of it, but like ghosting someone, you know, like because we don't even we don't even have the ability to properly communicate with a person. Hey, this is the emotion I'm feeling. I'm not really feeling you. So I won't kick it with you anymore. But you know what I'm saying? Like, and that's a small one, but think about culturally for us, like we've all been taught don't cry. So then now as we grow up, we feel like crying is a sign of weakness or, you know, it's that stuff now has been embedded in us subconsciously that no, we're not supposed to cry. You are supposed to cry. That's very healthy because that's acknowledging that you're feeling an emotion that you need to get out and express. But I'm glad that y'all brought that up because that's one of those things that we've been taught culturally, like stop crying, stop crying. Which also works hand in hand with the sticks and stones may break my bones but words will never hurt me. Well, if I'm crying and you say stop crying before you give me something to cry about, my feelings is hurt. That is enough for me to cry about. Why we got to do more? I never understood that growing up because I was a sensitive child. You look at me wrong, I'm crying. So I'm like, stop crying before you give me something to cry about. That was something to cry about in my eyes. What do, there's more? Oh, Lord. Once again, I've y'all. I've usually heard that. I've usually heard that in relation, specific relation to getting your ass beat. And I'm like, so if this leather belt on my backside is not supposed to make me cry, like, are you not doing that now? I don't understand. Like, that just never made, that never made sense to me. And I always, granted, I did get whoopings. I only got a few. Okay. I was better off than my brother because he got them all the time. But I would just be listening when she's like beating his ass for doing something dumb. And I'm like, but is he, but is that not, that hurts though. Like, clearly I'm going to cry and you're already doing it. Make it make sense. And I'm not going to question you because I ain't trying to get it too. I'm just watching from the sidelines. I'm just saying. Girl, no. The stop crying before I give you something to cry about when you crying before you already been threatened with a whooping. Like, I'm dumb and ain't pulling from back memories of what that whooping felt like. Make it make sense. Like, you telling me I am preemptively crying because I know what's in store. Because if nothing else, you are a person of your word. And if you said you about to whoop me, like, no. So does that mean the whooping is going to be hard? Because now I'm crying and therefore you got to give me something to cry about. I don't understand what we went through as black people. This don't make sense, which also is why I don't want my child because it's bananas. I was going to say exactly what they said, the trauma, the slavery, because in slave times, if they're the person who's getting whipped, if they're crying or showing emotions, the slave master will whip them harder and whip them longer until, you know, they either break or, and I remember, I don't know what movie it was, but um, the slave master was beating him until he at least shed a tear. So he was like trying to fight it off of like, I'm not crying. I'm not giving you the satisfaction of me crying or you showing, showing any emotion. So he would go, the slave master it was like beating him harder and harder until he literally almost died. So it is seeped in trauma and generational curse. I was going to say something that like I've 
noticed <clears throat> is um, the different parenting styles of like my friends who kind of have a good sense of awareness and have a good um, routine of like self-care. Their parenting style is a lot different from some of my friends who um, I guess we can just say low, low vib- uh, on a low vibration, chill, I say, because it's like what you were saying Nay, about people kind of parent from tiredness and hurt and all that stuff, because a lot of my friends who are on the other end of the spectrum are I'll say like the high va- high vibration spectrum. They're they're doing like the practices that we're talking about now where they're talking to their kids. They're not really whooping them. They're giving their children the choice. And then my friends who are like operating on a low vibration, it just frustrates me. Like the baby will just be jumping up and down and they'll be like, stop that jumping. Stop it. Stop. I'm like, why? Why do you have to pop a kid because he's being a kid or she's being a kid? You know what I'm saying? And that is so true. I feel like a lot of times when we haven't dealt with our own issues, then it kind of trickles back down into our kids. So I've like, I've kind of noticed that, like, I've just been thinking about that as we've been talking, like, man, it's really important for you to have a grip on yourself before you even try to bring kids into the world. And I mean, my family laughs at me and they make a joke of like, cause my, my saying was back in the day, uh, Brie whoops kids. So if I can't whoop your kid, I can't watch your kid. But the thing was like, but all kids love coming to my house. But here's the thing for me, my practice, and I've saw this in my grandma, she just didn't whoop kids just because like if a kid is jumping in the bed, let them jump in the bed. That's not going to hurt them. But like, I think one time I whooped my little cousin because he was three and he darted out in the hallway. I whooped him because in that moment, I needed him to understand that that's a safety thing and you could have lost your life. So I, for me, and I'll say this too, for some parents who do maybe kind of believe in whoopings, the only time that I will put my hands on my children is if it is like a life or death situation. And that's the only time. Other than that, it's just learning. Yeah, that's kind of our our model and our method. Unless it is, we need, it is a safety reason in the moment that I need to address and attack. We, we not whooping kids for a while. We off that. I said it. We off that in the year of our Lord, 2022. Ain't whooping no more kids. We're not doing it. But I guess to wrap up this episode and to go back on what Brianna, well, Brianna's question that she gave and the answers we gave in order to break the cycle of parenting by default, break the cycle of trauma parenting and move on to more intentional parenting. I think we do need to do those things that brought us joy and we learned from our parents. So to recap those items that showering your kid with love, safe communication, encouraging their curiosity, their independence, encourage them to be solution focused when they're dealing with questions, um, encourage their self-awareness, limit their expectation, well, your expectations of them and encourage them to live, limit their expectations of others and just to understand that their presentation matters. So y'all, I love that we have learned about the self-worth, self-love and self-belief that we all need to be intentional parents. The grass will be greener on the other side. And with that, we will go to our sponsor. Hey, beautifuls, this message is brought to you by The Grass is Greener on the Other Side, where we help women who have anger, sadness, and shame from being cheated on learn how to heal and take their power back so they can regain confidence, restore their peace, and attract the life of their dreams. We can be found on IG at Brianna underscore Latrice. That's spelled B-R-I-A-I-N-A underscore L-A-T-R-I-C-E. 
And for all of the Where's My Blueprint podcast listeners, we're offering free 15-minute discovery calls. So if you're ready to regain and restore that self-love, self-worth, and self-belief back in yourself, shoot me a DM for a free discovery call today. Because my motto is, honey, leave that cheater and find your peace. If you're interested in joining my new course, Rejection is Redirection, using your past as a reference, not a residence, you can email me at affairrecoverycoach at gmail.com or you can shoot me a DM at Brianna underscore Latrice. See you on the call. Listeners, y'all know what time it is. It is our favorite segment where we make Black history every week. So we are doing Moments of Melanation. Moments of Melanation is where we highlight a Black person doing their thing. Today for Moments of Melanation, we are highlighting. We are doing two beautiful Black women, both graduated from Spelman College and get this, they're sisters and have collaborated to write a book called With Ease, Navigating the Medical Office. And I really like this because um, with the episode we were talking about of like understanding stress and like understanding how all of this affects your body, but also understanding like how trauma affects your body and like all uh, diseases specifically for us. I love this book because they, these two women respond to the increasing healthcare needs, particularly for people of color. So meaning the elderly, the self-employed, it is a controversial book, but it's an instructional book for part of their ongoing effort to help patients live a healthier life. It's available on Amazon, or you can go to their website with easebook.com. The book, again, educates patients about the importance of understanding their medications, because I do believe again, in our culture, to me, this is traumatic, is that uh, doctors just give um, specifically elder patients, they just give people out medication and don't really explain it. They're like, oh, this is for your high blood pressure. Oh, this is for this. But the problem with that, in my mind, is like you're giving people a cocktail. You don't know what all of these medications going to do when they all interact and all of that. And most elderly patients aren't going to be asking those questions of, okay, well, how would this affect me? Or what would this do? Okay, well, I'm on this type of medication. Now you're going to put me on this medication. Like, what, what does all this have to do with me? And not only that, what are the side effects? Okay, this one affects my liver. Now I got to take something for this to counteract that. Okay, well, this one affect my bladder. Okay, this one may cause depression. This one may cause a headache. Lord, just give me some juice. At this point, I just want natural way. Just give me some juice. So ladies, what do y'all think about that? <laughs> if I'm just being real um, remedial, but why is this book controversial? I feel like this is all information that is necessary and needed. And I don't see why it's controversial. It's a controversial because you equip them people of the global majority ways to empower themselves and to get out of being illiterate and everything. Is that what makes it controversial? Because you equip them with tools. Sure. I'm going to say sure on that. And I apologize because that was supposed to be conversational. That changes the context. <laughs> well, I'm going to strike through my whole rent right there. But it sounds like a very good and timely book. Well, that's good. Okay. Well, that makes a lot more sense now. I think it is important. And I've thought this for a really long time, especially as I've gotten older and have been dealing with medical things and just trying to be healthy and understanding my body and how it's working and things of that nature. Uh, but I think it's imperative that we as Black people understand what our options are, understand what it is that we're taking and why. And prior
props to these women for putting something together and giving access to everyone who needs and wants this information. Um, the information that they need to understand, you know, stuff that either they're going with or people that they love are going through and things of that nature. And it's so, so important for medical professionals to really be clear and transparent when communicating these prescriptions or procedures and um, all kinds of stuff. And, you know, I just had a situation with my honey that we had to go to the emergency room with and and he's okay, which is good. And we realized, you know, we got a diagnosis, we know what's going on. And the doctor gave us, um, you know, kind of what the prognosis is and what to do next and the prescriptions that we're needing. And he broke it down. Okay, this is what you're going to take for to solve this problem. This is what it does in your body and actually breaks it down as to how it's going to help alleviate these like these symptoms. And, um, you know, yeah, you may feel some discomfort for the first week and most people that take it, this is why. And it's because your body's getting adjusted to X, Y, Z. And like, he was really breaking it down. Mind you, this was a black man that was our physician at the emergency room. And even though he wasn't taking patients, because I asked him, I was like, question, you got openings? Because I need to know for the both of us. He gave us recommendations to follow up. And I'm like, are the people on this list, do they look like us too? He was like, absolutely. That's why I'm giving them to you. And so it's great to be in positions or have access to uh, people in the medical field that understand how important it is for Black people to go to the doctors and be healthy and understand what's what and what's going on in our bodies and why some things we're more, uh, you know, predisposition to or some things that, are, that kind of run in our culture, which is now probably trauma. Uh, but I'm glad that this book provides this information and it's on a platform like Amazon, so it's easily accessible and anybody can get it. Uh, but I think it's great to, to be able to do that because it is so incredibly important to understand what is going on in your body because you only got one. Ditto. Ma'am, you didn't have to go off mute for that. But thank you for that wonderful moment of melanation. Um, who else to Black people in healthcare in general and also Black people in healthcare who are paying it forward and helping the masses who don't have a medical background learn more tools and learn how to navigate those things because it is a disparity. People of lower socioeconomic levels don't understand all of the jargon and everything that comes about that doctor visit. So kudos to them. Well, thank you for that moment of validation. It is so imperative that we understand what goes on in these doctor visits, that we understand our medication. We understand understand, quite frankly, what is wrong with us. So kudos to those doctors, especially being women who probably look like us and doing that. Now we're here for our affirmation. You know, each week we have an affirmation to help us feel good and rejuvenated and get us through our week. So today's affirmation is what, Nakai? I am in a place of forgiveness. I forgive my past, my parents, and myself. I forgive those who harmed me or hurt me, and I I did, and I forgive myself for what I did not know. Oh Lord, this is an affirmation right here. This is one of them fake it till you make it affirmations because I'm pretty sure you might not feel this way going in, but if you say it enough times, it'll get all in your spirit and you'll find that way. So make sure you say this affirmation, not only this week, but it might be something you need to say for the rest of your life to heal some of those hurts and those emotional upsets that we um we have within ourselves consciously and unconsciously. But that ends our episode. Join us on all of our social 
episodes on our Spotify, our Amazon Music, our Google Podcast, Red Circle. Come hit me up and talk to me on the blog. You can find that at where'smyblueprintpod.com. But until next time, bye. Peace out.